If you'll start making your way back seats. If you'll start making your way back to your seats. And as you do, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. While you're turning there, let me just say it is good uh, to be back with you. Uh, Ali and I missed you while we were out of town last week. We went and worshiped with another church and, uh, up in Minnesota. And while I was there, I was just thinking, I really love you guys. And so thankful for this body, thankful for, for New Breed and what God has been doing and what He is doing here. I, I feel somewhat obligated this morning to preach a Father's Day message. The reason being is on Mother's Day, Chris brought us a word and, and, and gave a great Mother's Day slash for everyone sermon. And so I figured I couldn't not then do a Father's Day. He, he put me in a bind here. So we're going to be out of the book of Judges again this week. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we've, we've been in a series through the book of Judges. We're going to take a break from that this week. We'll actually take a break from it next week to hear from another brother bringing the word. Uh, and then we'll jump back into the book of Judges here in a few weeks. But we're going to be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. And I'm going to read through verse 12. And I want to invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. And we're going to read through verse 12. Hear hear the word of the Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. And this morning, I want us to consider this idea of a faithful father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to hear from you as we look at your words to us. Lord, I pray that you will give me physical and spiritual strength to preach your word to your people, for we are ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A faithful father. So in... 1994, I'm going to date myself a little here, in 1994, I had uh, one of those first moments in my life. Uh, It was the first time that I went to the movie theaters to see a movie. I was either seven or eight uh, at the time, but it was was the first time that I went to see a movie in theaters. And I, I remember it well. I remember what the movie was that I saw. It was The Lion King. I remember going to the theater. I remember being amazed at the movie theater. I was amazed at how big the screen was. I was amazed at how perfect the sound was. And I was amazed at how good the popcorn was. You know it's true. There's just something about movie theater popcorn. But above all that, I was amazed by the movie. 
It's a great film. Lion King was great. I was talking with Jesse this morning. I'm going to put him on the spot. And he told me he had never seen The Lion King before. And I told him, we've all got struggles. I don't know how you have not seen. That should be your Father's Day plans, brother. Go home and watch The Lion King. It was a great film. And as a child, like any good movie should do, I was drawn into that film. I mean, I was invested. I was emotionally invested in Simba and Mufasa, and I could not wait to see how the story turned out. But there was one part of the movie that caught me off guard. It changed my emotions from delight to sadness. And you, you probably know the scene. And, and if you don't, it's not a spoiler. It's 30 years old. It, it was that scene when Simba is down in the gorge. Right? He's led there by his evil uncle in an attempt to take the throne. And the stampede begins. You, you remember. And Simba's fighting for his life. He's running. He's climbing. He's doing everything that he can do to survive. And his uncle goes to his dad, Mufasa, and he says, there's a stampede. And without hesitation, Mufasa charged towards his son. And in a dramatic scene, Mufasa rescues his son. But in the end, it ends up costing him his life. And I remember watching this as a young child, and, and no shame, tears began to fill my eyes in the movie theater. And I thought, how sad that Simba lost his father. And there was something about it that just didn't seem right. But it's interesting because since then, I've seen that movie more times than I can count. Ironically, I've probably seen it more times in Spanish than I have in English, but one night, we were in the basement, and my children wanted to do a movie night, and they agreed to watch The Lion King. And if you know my children, agreeing on a movie is a feat in and of itself. So they agreed to watch The Lion King, and I was, I was excited because this was a part of my childhood, and I was going to get to experience it now with my children. I knew what was coming, and I know how the story goes, but when it came to that same scene... And Mufasa hears that his son is in danger and without hesitation or question, he jumps into action, an action that will ultimately cost him his life. I had somewhat of a different thought when that scene was over. You know the scene, it's terrible. You know, Simba nudges his lifeless father, stampedes ended. And it was interesting because again, even in my 30s, a tear welled up. But I realized tears were welling up for a different reason. Because now as a father, I saw that scene through a very different lens. And rather than thinking how sad it was that Simba lost his father, my thought was, what a good dad. And, and even though I couldn't articulate it as clearly when I was a child, there's something hardwired into us that looks for a good father. I mean, we, we are built as human beings to see it. And, and here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you had a good earthly father, it doesn't matter if you had a poor earthly father. It doesn't matter if you had a, a, an earthly father who was present or who was absent. There's something hardwired in us that just recognizes a good father when we see one. I believe the reason for this is because we, as human beings, we're, we're made in the image of God. We are hardwired to desire a good father. And the reason for this is because God is a good father. And so our, our sight and our ability to recognize a good father, it's ultimately because God hardwired us to see him as a good 
Father. It's a reflection of the fact that we were meant to live as children of God, seeing and perceiving God as the good Father that He is. And in our text this morning, what we just read, we are reminded first and foremost of how good a Father God is. And I know, I know that often this text, Matthew 7, 7 through 12, is used to teach about prayer and pursuing God. And it is about that. But first and foremost, this passage speaks to just how good of a father our God is. So let me show you this morning. You see, first in the text, we see, we see the invitation of the father. The invitation of the father. Look again at verse 7. Jesus is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. He's actually coming towards the tail end of the sermon. So he's wrapping it all up. And he says there in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And through these words, Jesus is communicating to us the invitation from the Father to live in constant communion and relationship with Him. Let me, let me say it another way. God wants you to live the entirety of your life, the entirety of your life in relationship with Him. Not only does He want it, He extends to you an invitation. Jesus is saying that God wants you. Not not only does he want you to claim the status of being his child, but he wants you to live as if that is true, to see him as a good father and to pursue him as if he is a father. And, and I'll just acknowledge that might be hard for some of you to believe this morning. It might be hard for some of you to see. Maybe your picture of a father is one who was not around or one who was extremely selfish and treated you like a nuisance to manage. Maybe it seemed as if, if they didn't want you. But God here through Jesus' teaching is inviting us to have a relationship with him because he wants you. And I want to be clear, God isn't interested in a fickle relationship. God's not interested in being your mere acquaintance. God is inviting us into an all-consuming relationship where we are his children and he is our everlasting father. I mean, we see it even in the words used there in the threefold invitation to ask, to seek, and to knock. God is calling us to pursue him and walk consistently ongoing in a relationship with him. Let me try to explain it like this. You know, it was April 2nd, 2011, when I spoke two words that would forever change the course of my life. Do you know what those words were? I do. It was on April 2nd, 2011, when I promised to walk in this life, forsaking all others, clinging to my wife, Aaliyah. But those words were not the end of my relationship and pursuit of my wife. You all know it as well as I do. If I stopped pursuing my wife the moment I said I do, everybody in this room, whether you're married or not, would look at me and say, man, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Because even if you are not married, you know that marriage relationships require pursuing the person that you are married to. And here's my question this morning. Why is it that we so often think the, relationships work, the relationship works differently with God? That salvation was the end 
that's saying yes to Jesus, we've accomplished everything we need to accomplish. No, no, the invitation from God is an invitation to constantly and consistently pursue the Lord and to walk, to walk in an intimate relationship with God. Even those three words, ask, seek, and knock, they're written in the original language in the active present, which means that they are to be an ongoing pattern in our lives. Not that you ask one time, not that you seek one time, not that you knock one time, but that you are constantly and consistently asking and seeking and knocking at the door of the Lord. I like how, I like how D.A. Carson says it when he says that Jesus's disciples will pray. That's the ask. Jesus's disciples will pray with earnest sincerity. That's the seeking, the earnest sincerity. So Jesus's disciples will pray with earnest sincerity and active, diligent pursuit of God's ways. That's the knocking. So what he's saying is that we continuously live this life where we are praying to God. And we don't just pray once. We continue to seek his face. And then we actively and diligently pursue God's way, how he does things. And that's the knocking. And so let me say that perhaps the reason we don't experience the depth of the relationship with God our Father isn't because he is not available but because we're not pursuing him as he has called us to. See, the idea that Carson picks up on there is this all-consuming pursuit, right? We ask, that's the prayer. We ask consistently and fervently. That's the seeking and we knock and that's the pursuing God constantly. It's not a fickle relationship that we are invited into, but we are invited into a relationship with God the Father. Now, I know I said a lot there, so let me just pause for a minute and say this. Can we just consider for a moment? I, I know it, it's become commonplace to hear this stuff, but can we just consider for a moment how amazing it is that the God of eternity, the God who holds all power, all strength, all knowledge, the one who is righteous and holy and perfect in all of his ways, it is this God that invites us not just to know about him, but into a relationship with him. But it gets even better. Notice this. Notice the generosity of the Father. The generosity of the Father. Look at verse 8. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That is a generous Father. So, so here's how amazing our Heavenly Father is. Not only does He invite us to pursue Him as our Father, He promises that it will never be in vain. He is a God who generously gives of Himself to us. So here, here's the thing, confession time, right? Confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Here it comes. I always want, I didn't know my child was going to be in here, so it is what it is. I always want my children to feel like they can come and talk to me. That, that's not what I'm trying to keep from them. That's the truth. I, I always want them to feel like they can come and talk to me. I want them to know that they have my ear. I want my children to understand that I am for them and I love them. But let me be transparent. This is the confession. There are times when I wish they wouldn't. 
Oh, you could chuckle. You make fun of me all you want. You know it's true, parents. There are times you wish that they wouldn't. There are times I come home from work and all I want to do is sit on the couch. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And all they want is for me to be their dad. They want me to play with them. They want, they want to talk with me. They want to show me what they did and what they made while I was gone. And you know what I can do? I fake it. Dad, will you come and play with me? Yeah, yeah, we'll play in a little bit. I know good and well we're not going to play in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just, just give me a couple minutes. But here's the thing with God. That's never him. His invitation into relationship with him, it's not just lip service. And he proves it to us through his generosity. The Lord's not only generous by giving tangible good gifts, he gives himself freely to his children. How do I know this? Because consider what he gives us when we're adopted into his family. John 14, 16, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. God is so generous that when we become his children, he freely gives his spirit to dwell within us. But when we step back, right, we know that God is generous. He's proven it to us throughout the history of mankind. God has proven his generosity. God was generous when he created man and woman and placed them in an abundant garden. God was generous when those same people sinned. He clothed them in animal skins to cover their nakedness and their shame. God was generous when he promised Abraham a pagan that all of his descendants would be blessed. God was generous when he provided a sacrifice for the people of God in Egypt so that the angel of death would pass them by. God was generous when his people were in the wilderness and they were hungry and he made manna fall from heaven. God was generous when time and time again he raised up a judge to deliver a rebellious people who had forgotten who God is and what he had done. God was generous to speak through the prophets to call his people back to repentance. God was generous time and time again when he was patient with the sin of his people. God has been generous with you time and time again when you continue to rebel and he continues to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness. But ultimately, God God was generous when he gave the greatest gift of all. He sent his son to pay a debt that we owe, to die a death that he did not deserve to die. And through his generosity, he conquered sin, death, and the grave. And make no mistake about it, the reason you are in this place this morning is because God the Father is a generous God. The reason that you have clothes on your back is because we have a generous Father who clothes the lilies. The reason that you have food on your table is because you have a generous father who feeds the sparrows. God has always been generous. And the good news is that the God who was is the same God who is. He never changes. And so if God has ever one time proven to be a generous God to you in the past, you have enough evidence to guarantee he is generous to you today. And again, what that means then is maybe the reason you don't have what you need is not because God is not willing, but because we are not pursuing him as he has called us to. Listen to me. 
pray bold prayers. Seek God confidently because our God is a generous God. Our God is so generous that Jesus can say, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, we have to be clear about this. Please hear me. God is not giving you a formula to get whatever you want. That's not what he's doing. He says, ask, seek, and knock. If you ask the right way, if you seek the right way, if you knock the right way, you'll get whatever you want. God is not giving you a formula to get whatever you want. He is not saying, ask right and you get it. Seek fully and you'll find what you are seeking. Knock and every opportunity will be available to you. This is not a formula to get whatever you want. What Jesus is saying is that if you ask of the Father, you will receive a response. It might not be yes. It may be no, but He will respond to you. If you seek after something, you will find something. It might not be what you want, but it will always be what God knows is best. And if you knock, as, Car- as Carson explains, meaning diligently pursuing God and His ways, God will always be open to you. He is available. He will generously give of himself. God is not giving you a formula to get whatever you want. He is giving a path of discipleship that will make you more like him. God is a father who is accessible to his children because he is a generous father. And I know, again, I know that for some people this can be hard to believe. It is hard to believe because some of us have seen Father's promise and fail to come through. We have seen Father say one thing and do another. We have seen Father's promise to show up, but when times got tough, they left. It can be hard to believe, but this leads to the third truth about God that we see And it's the greatness of the Father. The greatness of the Father. Look at what Jesus says there in verses 9 through 11. He says, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him see what jesus is doing here is a common argument in the scripture he is he's arguing from the lesser to the greater this is the same type of argument that he made a chapter he made in the chapter before in chapter six when once again he's painting a picture of just how faithful and generous god is jesus says in matthew 6 25 through 29 therefore i tell you don't worry about your life What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he says, consider the birds of the sky. sky." Or or consider the sparrows. They, They don't reap or sow or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wild flowers of the field, 
that grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. He's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Now, this wasn't in my sermon, but let me just pause it. Just kind of start. I want sparrow-like faith. Like, I want the faith that the bird has. Like, do you, we can read over that and be like, oh, that's a cute picture. Do you realize how amazing of a picture that is that Jesus just gave us? He says this, listen, every night the birds go to bed. I looked it up, sparrows sleep. I had to make sure. They go to bed. They find a safe place. And they wake up in the morning. And they don't have refrigerators. They don't have barns. They don't have any food stored up. And they go out and they look for food without a care in the world. Why? Because a sparrow may have greater faith than we do because they know God did it yesterday. So God's going to do it again today. If he provided a worm yesterday, he's going to provide it again today. Some of us need some sparrow-like faith. But again, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. So he's saying, if God takes care of the sparrows and the flowers, you're worth more than them. You're greater than them. Of course he's going to take care of you. Here in chapter 7, He looks at earthly fathers and says, listen, earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. Praise God. They do. They might not always do it, but they know how to give good gifts. And he says this, even though they are evil. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying that every earthly father is an evil father and everyone is evil other than him. Not not in a sense of how we would think of evil. What he's getting at is that Even the best fathers are sinful. All of us are born with a sin nature. And we know that that's what Jesus is arguing because even as I said earlier, there are good fathers here this morning. There there are good fathers in this room. And we praise God for them because even that good gift is from God. What I prayed earlier, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. If you have a good God or a good Father here on earth, you do have a good God. If you have a good Father here on earth, tell them thank you because they are a gift from God to you. He is not saying that every father is as bad as they could be. But what Jesus is getting at is that even the best of earthly fathers are tainted by sin. And yet, in spite of that, they are able to reflect the nature and character of God by being and doing good for their children. And his argument, again, not that all fathers are bad, but that even the best of them fail to fully capture the majesty of God the Father's greatness. But look at what he says in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good Give good things to those who ask of him. Now, a moment ago, I said this. I said that I know for some of you, it's hard to believe this about God. I said it's hard because we have seen fathers promise and fail to come through. We have seen fathers say one thing and do another. We have seen fathers promise to show up. But when times got tough, they left. But here's the thing I need you to understand. We cannot evaluate our heavenly father by earthly examples. We evaluate earthly fathers by our heavenly example. 
Yes, Jesus uses the lesser or the earthly fathers to point to the heavenly father, but he does not define the heavenly father based on earthly examples. Because if we were to define God by our earthly examples, we could expect to be disappointed by God. But here's the thing, and I need you to see this. God has never failed to come through. God has never said one thing and done another. God has never failed to to show up when things get tough. In fact, our Heavenly Father specializes in coming through. He can make a way when there is no way. God has a track record of keeping His promises. In fact, all God's promises have already cleared the bank because Jesus is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. Our God does His best work in the valley and in the tough and in the difficult seasons of life. What I'm trying to tell you is that whether you have an amazing earthly father or a pretty lousy earthly father, there is a greater father who always comes through. There is a greater father who always keeps His word. There is a greater father that is faithful in the darkest of days and that father loves you. Oh yeah, I know it's true. Because the reason why I'm a child of God in the first place is because I have a good father. When there was no hope for me, when my sin had wreaked havoc on my life and I was separated from God and there was nothing I could do, God came through. When God promised that though I made the mess that I was in that he would deliver me, he kept his promise. I'm standing here not because my life has been easy, not because there have not been hard seasons and dark moments of the soul, not because there hasn't been doubt and struggle. No, I'm standing here because in the midst of it all, God has never left my side. I know it's true. And so do you, child of God. Now, I'll acknowledge this morning, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I've been blessed. I've been blessed with an earthly father who has modeled for me what it looks like to love Jesus, to pursue him, to fall, and yet continue to run after God. I'm blessed to have had that and to continue to have that. Happy Father's Day. I love my dad, but I don't think he would mind me saying, I have a father who is greater than him, a heavenly father. And more than I want to be like my earthly father. And I do want to be like my earthly father in as much as he points me to Jesus. But even more than that, I want to be like my heavenly father. And this leads to the final truth that I want you to see this morning. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Most of us know that verse, but we haven't really considered its placement, have we? That's an interesting place for that verse to be. Therefore, whatever you want others to do to you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. It, it's interesting that it comes directly on the heels of Jesus talking about how good our Heavenly Father is. Now, there's some debate as to what the therefore is in reference to. Some would argue that it is directly connected to the verses that we just read, 7 through 11, what we just looked at. Some argue that the therefore is connected to everything that Jesus has taught in the Sermon of the Mount up until this point. But both of those work for me because at the end of the day, this verse cannot only be applied to how we want others to treat us, Therefore, doing likewise, it can also, regardless of what you think the therefore connects to, it can be applied to how we want God to treat us. The other that we want to treat us is not just people in this world. How do you want God to treat you? Well, treat other people like that. So if you want God the Father to give good gifts, we should give good gifts. 
If we want God the Father to show us mercy, we should show mercy. God is the example of what it looks like to be a faithful father. So let me, let me offer a word of encouragement to the fathers who are here this morning. And I want it to be a word of encouragement to you. God has given you an amazing privilege, and it is a privilege to be a living, breathing reflection of his fatherly nature. And so my encouragement to you is to continue to run after him because I know as a father that in my own strength, I do not have the ability to represent God like I should. But the beautiful thing about being a child of God is he has, in, he has given us his spirit and through the power of the spirit we can, by the grace of God, reflect God well to our children. I want my children to see me as a good dad. I do. I want them to love me. I want them to cherish our time together. I'm so thankful that my youngest is, does not want to go to college and wants to live in my house forever. I'm cool with that. That'll probably change in the teenage years, but right now I'm good with it. I want them to love me, but more than anything, I want them to love God more because of the picture of a father that I painted. Not to make myself look good, but to make God the Father look good. And fathers, you have an amazing, amazing opportunity to represent God in your homes. And I don't say it to be cavalier. I think we've got some great fathers in this room. I've seen most of you with your children. I've seen you love and shepherd. And I want to encourage you, don't grow weary in doing good. It is worth it. Because at the end of the day, what we want to hear more than anything is our Heavenly Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that does not mean that your child will turn out exactly how you wanted them to. That does not necessarily mean that your child will come to faith, though we pray that they do. Our job is to stand before our Heavenly Father and hear, well done. Press on, fathers. But let me offer encouragement to everyone else who is a child of God but may not be a father, though it applies to fathers too. No matter what your earthly father was like, some of you have great fathers, some of you have in-the-middle fathers, some of you might not know your father. You have a good, good father in heaven. Again, maybe you have a great father. Take heart that you have an even better one in heaven. Maybe your father isn't that great. You have a better father in heaven, and this father loves us, and he invites us into fellowship with him in a relationship that is unlike any other, and don't neglect that. Ask, seek, and knock, because our heavenly father invites us to come to him and to pursue him. Cherish the gift of being a child of the eternal, all-powerful, holy God who is your Father. But I have to say this too. If you are here and you are not a Christian, I don't say this to be harsh. God is not your Father, but He can be. And I know that's hard because in our culture, right, we love this language of we're all God's children. The problem is the Bible just doesn't say that. We are all God's creation, but we are not all his children. But the same truth is true to you. God invites you into fellowship with him. He wants you to be in fellowship with him. 
And we know it's true because of what he did. Our sin, every one of us, it separates us from him. He is too good, too perfect, and too holy to dwell with the sinful and rebellious people. And the problem is, as much as we try to clean ourselves up, we can never undo the sin that's already done, let alone stop sinning. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to live the perfect life that we should live but we can't and to die the death that we deserve to die. And he died. He was crucified. He was buried and he was raised from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And God invites us to place our faith in him, to turn from our sin and run after God and we can be adopted into his family as children, not illegitimate children, not half children. We are adopted as children of the most high God with full rights and full inheritance. And you might be thinking right now, well, Pastor, that's all well and good, but you don't know all that I've done. Well, let me remind you, not only does he invite you, but he is a generous God. And there is more grace than you have sin. He is great. So on this Father's Day, I want to tell the fathers here, I am so thankful for you and your faithfulness. Press on to all that God has called you to and to the rest of us. Press on to all that God has called you to with eyes fixed on your faithful Father, for He is good. Let's pray together. God, we we thank you for your kindness towards us. God, we thank you that even though this day can be hard for some, that it can be a struggle, that we, all of us, have a reason to celebrate because you are a good, good Father. And we marvel at the fact, God, that you would even invite us into relationship with you. We, we marvel at the fact that you are so generous and so great and that you allow us the privilege of being your ambassadors who get to represent you here in this world. And so, God, whatever emotions we might be feeling this morning, I pray more than anything that we would be able to pause and praise you because you are a good father. You are a faithful father, and you will never fail. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, at this time, I want to invite us to take a moment and to just reflect, to reflect on our amazing Father, to reflect on how good and kind He has been, to reflect on the gospel. Because here in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take the bread and the cup. And the Bible calls us to take a moment and just spend time with the Father before we do that. And so for some of you, that might mean 